Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left, he's flying! Connor Tate is going to route third, he will score! And Robbie Zerg is playing, he will score! And the Dodgers rock it up! If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Classics. City Sports Podcast. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams here with you. Uh, got a lot to still talk about in the offseason for Georgia. It's not even the offseason yet, but it kind of feels that way for a lot of Georgia fans as you're not preparing for a college football playoff game as you have for the past two years. But some news in the transfer portal, lots of players entering there uh, and potential ones coming to Georgia, obviously, as well. Uh, the 2024 schedule was released earlier this week or leaked, I should say. It hasn't officially been released, but it was leaked and it came out. Uh, so we're going to look at that and talk about some of the games on that schedule that we're looking forward to as well. Uh, Dan, yeah, our favorite person is in the chat. I see Morgan's in here, so shouts to her. Um, and Chase, thank you for being in here as well. Make sure you guys go ahead and hit that like uh, like button on there. Subscribe to the channel if you aren't already and go ahead and share it on social media and everything. Make sure you hit some comments and everything too. Helps us get some more people in here to watch. Uh, but Jonathan, how are we feeling? Uh, uh, you know, a little removed from from Georgia's loss at this point. I, you know, typical offseason activities, especially during the month of December, if you regardless of if you're in the playoff or not, or if you're playing in a major bowl game, one of the near six games, there's a big gap in between when you play in the conference championship weekend and then when your next game is like Georgia has to wait until December 30th until their next game comes up. So, like, I think Georgia took the entire week off last week. So not even any practice news. The only news to talk about right now is what's going on in the transfer portal. You got early national signing day coming up. And then, as you mentioned, the 2024 schedule got leaked. Some interesting things there to talk about. Um, Not your typical schedule that you're used to. You know, some opponents that you're used to seeing on there on a regular basis, they're not on there anymore uh, because divisions no longer exist. Got some really intriguing road matchups on the slate as well and a really good opener. So immediately you'll have a game to look forward to for the 2024 season rather quickly as well. So excited to talk about, um, you know, definitely this time of year with the transfer portal. It's not always great news to talk about from a Georgia fans perspective, seeing players come but then you're also probably going to end up seeing some big names come to Georgia Georgia's roster this offseason as well. So some excitement mixed in with some sadness, I guess you will, or just some mixed feelings and whatnot. Yeah, definitely some mixed feelings on there when you see certain players hit the portal. Um, for Georgia so far, the ones that have hit the portal, nobody's been like big contributors or anything. So that's, you know, it's decent for you, at least on that side of it. I know we've seen some big names leave Georgia that were contributors. I mean, you've seen Jermaine Burton go, you saw A.D. Mitchell go, Bear Alexander, uh, different names that were 
contributors or could have had a big role the next year. Uh, haven't quite seen as many of those hit the portal this year so far. Um, but real quick, we're going to run through that. I'll run through the list of names of the players that have hit the portal. There's 12 so far. Uh, first is Darius Smith, Jonathan Jefferson, CJ Madden, Jackson Meeks, Brock Vandegrift, Austin Blasky, uh, Jared Zirkel, Nyland Green, Makai Muse, EJ Lightsey, uh, Xavier Sori, and Yazid Haynes. So when I read that list to you, what's the first name that sticks out most to you, Jonathan? Um, I don't know that there really is one that sticks out the most. I mean, I, I guess it's because Yazid Haynes would have to be the one that I highlight the most because that, that's a true freshman this year. He was a, a part of that 2023 recruiting class, one of the big wide receivers that Georgia signed, one that a lot of people are really excited about. He was one of those guys that, you know, early on in his career, like, I mean, up leading up into bowl prep when he was early enrolling at Georgia, I mean, that's when you started hearing about Yazid Haynes. Yeah. They were saying that. He had go-go juice. I think he was reported at or clocked in at a 4.340 yards. Like the dude had speed. Yeah, um, moving. And, you know, he only had one reception for 20 yards this year. But, I mean, you, that's kind of expected of a true freshman. Uh, so that one kind of hurts a little bit just because that 2023 class of wide receivers, that kind of felt like a pivoting point for Georgia and a crucial step forward for um, Brian McClendon and that wide receiver group, especially knowing that a lot of your key contributors like Rojack, Lad McConkey, and now even Ra Ra Thomas, Dominic Love, and those guys, you know that they're not going to be around forever. And sooner or later, you're going to have to start relying on these younger guys. Yeah. Makai Muse obviously is somewhat of a shock because he was such a major contributor, but at the same time, it's not because he was a walk-on. So I, I completely understand it. You got to go find a scholarship elsewhere. I mean, immediately, as soon as he had the portal, Fran Brown offered him a scholarship at Syracuse. So good to yep. see that he's already getting some offers and some big time offers. He's not just going to have to go play at a school like Middle Tennessee or anything like that. So hopefully he ends up at a good landing spot for him. But so far, I would honestly say that a lot of the names that have entered the portal are ones that fans probably expected to. Yeah, for sure. The biggest ones for me, I've got two names on this list for me um, that kind of pull your attention for different reasons. But one was uh, Nyland Green. He's a guy that I've talked about so much on this show because I I've, was a huge fan of his coming out of high school. But as you can see, he's kind of fallen on the depth chart. You've seen other people step up in front of him especially with Humphreys playing as well as he's played when he got to play. Uh, AJ Harris has gotten some playing time in there as well. And uh, so it's, it's, but the interesting thing about him is, you know, he's hit the portal and there hasn't been like a bunch of news about him going somewhere else yet. There hasn't been visits and, and crystal balls and stuff like that. Um, and he's, he's still with the team right now too. So maybe, maybe Kirby and them are trying to, you know, convince him to stick around. Um, and maybe there's a chance that he will, uh, so I'm I'm not giving up hope on it because I've always, like I said, he's always been a fan favorite of mine um, just because I, I followed his stuff through high school a little bit and, and seeing him come into the class. I, I thought he would be a contributor, you know, early on in his career, especially with the way that cornerback room looked at the time a couple years ago. Um, so that one kind of, you know, it stings a little for me. Uh, the biggest name that kind of makes me start looking is Brock Vandegriff. He hit the portal, tells you one thing. It immediately it told me one thing. Arson Beck's most likely coming back. Um, you know, he was getting grades for first round grades at the end of the year, uh, thinking that he could go off to the NFL real quick. But seems like if Brock Vandegrift's hitting the portal, that tells you that there's a high chance uh, that Carson Beck is coming back. I know it's not official. He hasn't said anything yet, but he hasn't, you know, declared or, you know, said he's going to sit out of the bowl game or anything like that. So uh, I'm excited to see if that happens. It, it makes me look a lot more optimistic for next year uh, with this offense for Georgia. Yeah. Um, I don't want Georgia fans to immediately think that 
Brock Vandergriff leaving means that Carson Beck is coming back. I, those those conversations of Carson either going to the NFL or returning, they're very much still ongoing conversations. You know, Georgia does a very thorough outlook and plan of players that are looking at entering the draft or if they want to stay. I mean, they freaking plan out basically like the next two years of your career of what they're saying. Like, this is what it's going to look like for you. If you make this decision, if you stay, this is how we're predicting that it's going to look like. I mean, they have a lot of conversations regarding your future and how your decision will impact your future and whatnot. So those conversations are still going on for Carson Beck. I think that Brock Vandergriff already knew and he had already decided that he was going to enter the transfer portal regardless of what happens. Uh, so I think it, you know, then that kind of opens the door of, well, if Carson does decide to leave now, like if he does say, oh, yeah. I'm going to go to the NFL and I think I'm I'm good with being a second rounder or late first rounder, then you got Gunnar Stockton is who you presumably would think is the starting quarterback next year with Dylan Rayola and Ryan Pugliese right behind him. But heck, I mean, you might even see at that point, if that is the decision that Carson makes to go to the NFL, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia starts dabbling into the quarterback market and the transfer port either. With, since you know what your schedule looks like this next year, I mean, not saying that Gunner isn't capable of being a starting quarterback, obviously, at Georgia. He'd be a I mean, first-year starter. Talented, yeah. But you just don't have any in-game reps with him. You don't know what that looks like yet. Right. And that can be a scary thing to go into next year with with the schedule that you have. I know that there's a 12-team playoff, but, I mean, you got to go through a gauntlet there at midseason, and you got a tough opener as well. So going in there with the first-year starter, I don't know if that's ideal. But it, some interesting things to think about since Brock Vandegrift is now going to Kentucky. First of all, don't kill my optimism and my fandom of the, the situation. Don't well, some don't optimism don't be you re- have some realism. I listen, but don't kill my vibe on that one because I, I I know there's still a chance he leaves. But I'm I'm until I see his name hit that you know decision being made, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here and think like he's coming back. That's just me. Um, and it would I think that's the biggest thing that I think about that you brought up was if he were to leave now, Georgia's kind of in a, a, tough, a tough spot. spot. Like that quarterback room, you know. Ending the year right now, you're ending it. You had Carson Beck on your roster, Brock Vandegrift, Gunnar Stockton, and you had Ryan Puglisi and um, uh, Dylan Raiola coming in. So that room is pretty stacked, all of like right there. But all of a sudden, if you take Brock Vandegrift out and then Carson Beck out, now you've got a guy that's been on your roster for two years uh, in Gunnar Stockton that has, like you said, he hadn't even gotten game reps as like a number two at this point in his career. He 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 doesn't get in the game, and then you've got two true freshmen on there. So your options at quarterback are super limited all of a sudden going from how stacked it has been to now, what do we do? Um, so in that situation, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they've looked to the transfer, not saying they brought somebody in, but if they were really starting to kick the tires and look at some people out there to see if they could get them to come in, um, because that's schedule next year. It's, it is brutal. It is a very tough schedule. I mean, you've got Ole Miss on the road. You've got Texas on the road. You've got Alabama on the road. And we'll jump into that full conversation here in a second. But like you said, yeah, you got a 12-team playoff. But you could lose two of those games, you know, if you're going in there with an inexperienced quarterback and you're trying to figure some stuff out on offense. You're already most likely, you know, you're you're losing Brock uh, Bowers and, and possibly Lad McConkey. Those guys are, you know, one foot out the door at this point. And your offense is going to look a lot different next year, especially if you have to go with a young quarterback like that. Uh, 12-team playoff is still not the easiest thing in, in the world to do when you've got that schedule and that roster right there. Uh, one name that kind of popped out to me, it just seemed kind of funny, is Jared Zirkle going to the portal. And he's been he's been the kickoff guy for two years now or something like that. He's been doing it, but I guess he wants to go be a place kicker. I would assume that that's what he's looking for a spot because obviously you've seen with Peyton Woodring, 
uh, being pretty good this year. He, you know, had that one he missed in the SEC championship game um, and a few that he missed early in the year. But overall, top to bottom of the season, a phenomenal freshman year for him, uh, which tells Jared that, you know, hey, if you want to be a place kicker, man, I, I, unfortunately, you're going to have to find another spot for it. So it's a weird one when you see a name like that go to the portal. Yeah, definitely a unique one. It's like you never really expect special teams players to be the ones hitting the portal, but obviously for sure. He wants to go kick field goal somewhere else. I completely understand that. I, for one, I know if I was a kicker, I would not want to be a permanent kickoff man for the rest of my life. You know, typically your kickoff guy is either your field goal kicker or he's also your punter. You know, they kind of – it kind of varies between each team, just kind of depends. But Georgia was in a unique situation where one guy won the field goal battle and they're like, well, the other guy can be our kickoff guy. And both did – a really good job in the, both of those roles. Um, kind of, you know, I, th- I would say the good news if, uh, for Georgia at this point is you have, I think, 12 guys in the portal in total, maybe 13 at this point. I'm not 100% sure. I think it's 12. But, I mean, 12. So, like, that's a good number. Typically, Georgia, I think last year, Georgia had 15 players enter the portal, if I remember correctly. Yeah, somewhere it was like around 15 there. or 16. Yeah, right around yeah. that range. So, somewhere around that range. So, Based off history and based off what your numbers are like in the past, you can maybe expect a couple more players to hit the portal. And then you might survive the rest of it, and you might be able to retain the rest of your roster. Um, especially, but the only thing is is that this year you're bringing in 29 kids from the 2024 recruiting class. Early nas- National Signing Day is in a couple of weeks. So uh, they're going to have the majority of that class wrapped up then on the 20th. So you definitely got to cut ties somewhere, and you're also. It looks like you're also going to be targeting at least three people in the transfer portal. We know about the Humphreys kid from Vanderbilt. I mean, that dude got a crystal ball the day he entered the portal. Uh, Trevor Etienne from Florida. He's already gotten some looks at Georgia. He's been connected to the Bulldogs quite a bit already. And then um, there's all one at South Carolina defensive lineman on um, McLeod, Xavier McLeod. He's also been connected to Georgia. I think he was on an official visit this last weekend. Yeah. There's pictures of him with Kirby Smart. So that might be another name to look out for them as well. So obviously Georgia is active in the portal. They don't always do that every offseason. You know, a couple years ago, the year where they lost 15 players in the NFL draft. They didn't touch a single player in the portal, and that was kind of big Kirby's big selling point of like, we didn't take a single player from the transfer portal. You know, we we believe in this roster. Like losing 15 kids is nothing to us. Or this year, it looks like you're definitely gonna be grabbing a few people, and you hinted at kind of needing some guys to contribute on offense and yeah. probably get, needing to get some other people from the portal for that. While running back and wide receiver, those are two of the players that you're looking at. So definitely looking at um filling some voids on the offense for next year, just because you are gonna be a little young on that side of things. And um, but for the most part. Should be smooth sailing. We've seen what Georgia's been able to do in regards to replacing talent and just kind of keeping things steady and not really having a lull at any point in the future. Yeah, one thing that we've noticed over the past few years with Kirby Smart is when when you do have a, a little bit of a hole in your roster, he's very good at going out and getting a, a good player, a, a key contributor type player uh, in the transfer portal. He's done it you know, tight end over the years. He's done it at safety. He's done it at corner. You know, places that you've needed somebody, he's gone and gotten that person for you. And and like you said, you know, obviously on the, deal, the defensive line, we know we need some help there. So that's not surprising. Even this year, we could have used a little bit of help. Uh, so next year, we definitely want to go ahead and bolster that that lineup there. So seeing him go after McLeod out of South Carolina is, is a big deal. The running back room is an interesting one um, because you've got a lot of talent in that room, a lot of young guys, but you've had some people dealing with some pretty serious injuries there. Um, you know, Kendall Milton is is he's gone at this point, and uh, Edwards is most likely gone at this point. So I haven't heard anything that would can you know say otherwise. So if those two guys are gone, that's your entire running back room right now. That from this past year. 
outside of, you know, Dylan Bell and, uh, you know, some couple of young guys that Andrew Paul that got a couple carries and stuff like that. So you, you see a need right there and wide receiver, like we said, that that's, you can always use a good wide receiver like that. And the, the Humphreys kid out of Vanderbilt, man, he, he, I mean, he got a couple nice plays against Georgia. Some, I think he took a 60 yarder against Georgia in that game. Um, and he's extremely, extremely fast. So, you know, six, three, about one eighty five, somewhere in that range and, and got incredible speed. That's a guy that they hit the portal. You got to be trying to get him. You know what I mean? Like you have to, because that's a lot of talent right there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I, I'm confident in Georgia's ability and Kirby Smart's ability to go find those gaps in your roster and, and fill them with exactly what you need to kind of carry you over for your next recruiting class to kind of pick up the slack there. That's what you've seen most of the time. Anytime that's happened, you know, the recruiting class for those positions seems to be pretty strong the next two years to kind of help bring it back up to what it needs to be without having to go to the transfer portal. Yeah, especially getting looking at a guy like ETN in the transfer portal. That's definitely a sign of they're trying to buy this next year's class some time. Like you're getting Nate Frazier, you're getting Chauncey Bones, you're yeah. getting Dwight Phillips Jr. You got three running backs this next class, but you also have to look at it from the perspective of, okay, if Milton and Edwards are both gone, then we're hoping, we're praying that Branson Robinson is ready after missing the entire season due to an injury. So that's who you would hope would be your number one guy. But again, he's coming off of a season-ending injury. That's always tough and takes some time for you to accumulate and get back to the grind and get back to the flow of the game. You have Andrew Paul, which you got a few good looks at this year. Didn't really get a heavy workload because, again, he was also someone that was coming off of a season-ending injury a year ago, the ACL tear. So it would be Branson Robinson, Andrew Paul, Cash Jones are your top three well, heck, I mean, you're another injury away like you were this year from having to rely on some true freshmen and having to rely on yeah. some guys that don't have a whole lot of in-game reps, guys that you may not be ready to give a heavy workload to. So if you get a guy like Trevor Etienne, that room immediately looks completely different and you give yourself some cushion to where you're not having to say, oh, crap, we got to let Nate Frazier tote the ball 15 times today because um, Branson Robinson is not able to go because he still has a lingering injury or whatever the case may be. So it definitely changes the whole outlook. Yeah, Kirby's, Kirby Smart and them are not getting transfer portal acquisitions that are projects. Like They're not like, oh, right. we'll bring you in this year, and the goal is to get you to play next year. I know people might throw Tyke Smith in that conversation, but Tyke Smith also dealt with injuries. I mean, the plan yeah, for He him, got hurt as soon as he got here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the plan for him was definitely to play immediately. He just had to deal with the injury bug. It took some time for him to get back, and then you saw what he was able to do when he was a contributor this year. So it's definitely not project guys. Guys that George is getting in the portal, guys that they're going to obtain from the transfer portal, those are guys that you can expect to immediately be on the field from game one and be contributors on both offense or defense. Yeah, and I think it's a, a good spot to be looking at. Like you said, I mean, Tyke's the, probably the only transfer that came in that didn't actually get to go full right away, and that's because he got hurt immediately. Um, and so you never really got to see it from him. But, yeah, incredible. You know, Was he an All-American this year? I don't know if he was this year. It's I know funny he was, because like there's different an lists. All American. There's yeah, like it's PFF All Americans, and then there's the AP All Americans. Like it's kind of hard to know like what list they were a part of and what list they weren't. I know he's at least on the All SEC team, first or second. I can't remember which one, but yeah. I know he was on those. Um, so he was he was a big performer for you this year. So it was exciting to see that. Um, but looking forward, you know, it's still we'll still get a chance to see some of these guys play in the in the bowl game like Kendall Milton said he is going to play in that game uh, a few other people have come out and said they're going to be playing so it'll be interesting to see you know a few other of these guys one last time as long as FSU doesn't you know walk off the field and not play or something like that uh, you get a chance to see them play one more time so I'm excited about that but looking forward to next year 
as we kind of mentioned, a few of the big games already uh, start the season off in week zero uh, for Georgia, which is the first time they've done that, playing week zero. And you're playing against Clemson in, uh, in Atlanta, neutral site there to start the season off. Then you got Tennessee Tech at Kentucky. Then you get your first bye week because you get two since you're playing week zero. You get your first bye week. Then you go on the road to Alabama at home versus Auburn, at home versus Mississippi State, at and on the road to Texas. Then you get another bye week. You know, you get your your game against Florida down in Jacksonville, at Ole Miss, home against Tennessee, home against UMass, and then home against Georgia Tech. That's a tough schedule, man. That's the yeah, hardest I mean, schedule, regular season schedule you've seen at Georgia in a while. Yeah, I mean, a tough draw having to play both Texas and Alabama on the road. And I know Georgia fans are probably a little frustrated because they're like, dude, we just played Alabama on the road in 2020. Like, why are we having to travel to them again this year? And, you know, I would just say you can't rely on anything that happened during 2020. All of that is just a wash. Yeah. It has holds no relevance whatsoever nowadays. So definitely tough to have to go travel to both of those games. Um, the good news is, uh, but for me, I would say worst case scenario there, you go one and one against those teams. I don't think you would lose to both Texas and Alabama, especially yeah. because you do get the bye week right before Alabama. So that helps you tremendously in that scenario. Um <clears throat> The biggest thing for Georgia is really just going to be whether or not you are going to be having a new quarterback under center or if you're going to get Carson Beck back again. Uh, I know that the Clemson game to me is intriguing, but I just don't know what Clemson is going to be next year. You know, if they continue to be the Clemson of the new age of this new Clemson, that's kind of like you're a good ACC team, but you're not exactly a good national upper tier college football team then I would say that Georgia really doesn't even need to worry too much about Clemson because like they've had horrible offensive line play as of late over the past couple of years. They haven't recruited that position very well. Cade Klubnick has been serviceable, but he hasn't been anything that he was advertised coming out of high school. I, I just don't know what Clemson is going to be. They, I know that they graduate a lot of players. They have a lot of seniority on that mm-hmm. team. And so they're going to have a lot of players leaving. And Clemson is not one of these schools that goes and dabbles into the transfer portal to try and add immediate contributors to their roster to kind of, buy them some time or give them some cushion on their roster. So I don't know what Clemson is going to be like, but if they continue on this trend, I would say that Georgia should win that game pretty easily right now, sitting here December, 2023, a little under a a year away from that football game, but definitely a tough stretch of the schedule, especially that middle part where you're basically sandwiched in between Alabama and Texas. Yeah, it's going to be the Clemson, is they got better as the season went on this year. You know, they started, they, they were struggling really bad early on, uh, made some improvements late down the stretch and started to kind of catch some, some momentum uh, to continue into this next season. So uh, there is a lot of chance for them to improve next year and be better than they have been. But like you said, that roster, I think they, uh, they have a, a decent amount of upperclassmen that are about to be leaving. Uh, a lot of young guys are going to have to be big contributors. So it just depends on how, how well they play early on in their career of what, what Clemson's going to look like. So I'm not too concerned about that game. Uh, I think the game that I'm most excited for is Texas because especially now, right, they're they're in contention for a national championship. Yeah. So they're coming in. They're going to be coming in beating their chest even if they don't, you know, win against Washington or they don't win a national title this year. They are going to be coming in saying, hey, we deserve to be here because we got our chance at, like at a playoff already. And, and we're coming in to be a team to compete again, especially with the 12-team playoff coming up. 
but going on the road, getting to welcome them to the SEC, that's a big game for Georgia. Uh, it's going to be a fun one to kind of get get out there, hopefully get out to Austin and enjoy the pregame festivities and get out there and be a part of it for sure. Uh, then obviously going to Alabama, that's it's not a fun thing to do, but you do get the bye week right before, so that's helpful as well to make sure you're kind of ready for it. Um, two bye weeks during the season is going to be weird. You know, mm-hmm. you're not used to having two Saturdays in the middle of the season that you don't get to watch Georgia football, but that's what you get when you get Georgia football a week early, right? Now, week zero, I, in the pa- years past, I've never really paid too much attention to the games in week yeah, zero. You have a good game, at least. There hasn't been good games, but now you get a good game. Two premier teams, you know, teams that have won national championships within the past few years. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it gets to start the season off right. You get to be excited about football a little bit earlier than you used to uh, this next season, so that'll be good. Well, here's my question for you, Stoddard. Does Georgia go up against Nick Saban next year, or is Alabama working in a new head coach next year? Oh, See, this is a tough one. I I don't think he's done. I know I, I did see the video. I know like everybody's been talking about the video that SEC Network put out where Kirby and Nick came and talked You know, at center field. Uh, or midfield and they were you know he kind of made it sound like hey it's been great coaching against you 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 know you taught me a lot and everything like that and and Nick was saying yeah I'm getting old uh it's he made it sound like he could be and he also seems like a guy that's going to be really really hard to just walk away from the game especially if he's coming off like you know a year that he has probably had one of his better coaching performances because the roster had a lot of you know issues over the past couple of years and he had to kind of carry this team where they were struggling at the beginning of the year and then they got to their best brand of football by the end of it when it really mattered and they had to have it uh yeah i don't know man it's if he wins a title i think it's very possible that he's done if he doesn't win a title i think he's back yeah for me the whole thing was when kirby was telling him try to enjoy it and you know already yeah. like if you didn't hear the interaction it was kind of like Man, you guys have done it. Both guys were like, you've done a tremendous job this season, Nick's. Like, nobody's done a better job than you have over these last two years, like winning that many games straight, winning back-to-back national titles. But yeah, the whole thing of like, man, it's been a pleasure. Like, I just try to – and Kirby's saying try to enjoy it. That's very much something that I feel like someone would say if it's like your last hoorah, like your last time going yeah, through this. Yeah, it does like, sound like it. Especially going through a time of like someone like Nick Saban, like knowing that his time is coming to an end, like for the last or the, entering a new stage of life that is very new to you and something that you probably don't necessarily want to do. But I think also something to consider is that like this season has probably been one of the hardest coaching jobs that he has had. Like he has had to coach his butt off to get this team into the college football playoffs. Like, yeah, everybody talks about how Alabama was kind of able to evolve throughout the season. They were playing their best brand of football that was completely different late in the season than it was compared to earlier in the season. And that has a lot to do with Nick Saban coaching up that team and adjusting and um, Kevin Steele and those guys being able to evolve that offense and make it work around Jalen Miller. I mean, it's been a tough coaching job for Nick Saban. It's been a difficult task, but he's managed to do it. And so I think this season very well could have just taken a toll on him. And he's like, man, I don't know if I could do another year after this. Like it's taken everything out of me. And so I I think maybe the end result does have something to do with it. Um, but it, it, it was kind of weird. It's just a very weird reaction, a typical reaction. I don't think you would necessarily get from Kirby smart, Nick Saban in that scenario. And I also think it's weird in general that sec network is clipping that part and telling everybody, like showing everybody that portion of their interaction. So I think it kind of is maybe a little foreshadowing. It's, it definitely indicates that he's get if he's not done right now, he's getting very close to the end of his career because you're right. The, the big kicker of it is it made it sound like this was the last time they'd be coaching against each other. 
And the only way that's possible is if he's not coaching next year because they're in the regular season. It's not like you got to wait for postseason play next year. You get them, you know, midseason next year. So, or early in the season, rather, in like Mm -hmm. September, I believe. So you get them early on. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I mean, if, if, if he's done, I mean, hats off to the guy. He's, his career, by far the greatest college football coach of all time. Like, it's not debatable. Bear Bryant was really good, but he surpassed what Bear Bryant was done. Uh, and I think if he wins this title, I think he's got more national titles at Alabama than Bear Bryant had, too, or either ties or goes over what he has. I know he's got more titles total, but he got some before he came over to Alabama. Um, but I believe that's the case. I think if he wins, he surpasses Bear Bryant as the winningest Alabama head coach as well as the winningest all time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. But hats off to the guy. Incredible coach. So my next question then leading into this is, so say it goes on. It's, let's say he did like, we don't even know the end result is. Let's say the end result doesn't matter. End of the season, Nick Saban says, I'm done. I'm no longer the head coach at Alabama. I'm going to retire. I'm going to go live on the lake or go live in Florida with my wife, Terry. And we're just going to kind of enjoy ourselves for a little while. Like I'm stepping away from the game of football, whatever. How are you feeling as a Georgia fan? Are you, are you in the mindset of like, thank God, get that old man out of here. We like, thanks for everything you did for the game of football, Saban, but not going to miss you whatsoever. Or you have the mindset of like, dang, I would have liked to have gotten him one last time or like I, w- I want him to stick around so we could beat him another time. And he doesn't get to leave being one and five or five and one against Kirby Smart. Like what what would your mindset be? What would your feelings be that, towards that? I think there's obviously an appeal to like getting him one more time and being able to beat him um, and, and try to like end it on that. But at the same time, I'm I'm a reasonable person and looking at, man, if he's not there, that makes the path to national championship through Atlanta, wherever, uh, a lot easier than having to deal with him on the other side. Because going into that game on December 2nd, I sat there and we were talking about it and, and everyone was asking, you know, what's your confidence level? How are you feeling about this game? And I was like, well, Georgia's a better football team. I mean, Georgia is a better football team. They've got the better roster. They've won 29 straight games. They've, you know, had a couple not so perfect games, but they've looked good pretty much all year. But you still got a coach against Nick Saban on the other sideline, and he is one of the best, or he is the best to ever do it. So not having to play that game in Tuscaloosa against Nick Saban would be so much nicer. I mean, they, it, that would be so much better, man, not having to do that um, and being able to kind of not worry about, well, you still got to go against Nick Saban. He can he makes those adjustments. He knows Kirby Smart very well. He kind of knows his thought process. I mean, they were together for, what, like 10 years? I mean, mm-hmm. for forever at Alabama before he came over to Georgia. Uh, it, they know each other very well, but Nick Saban is still Nick Saban. And he, he gets the best of Kirby. Um, and at that game, when you look at it, there was some performance things that you would have hoped were a little bit better, but the coaching and, and the decision-making. I mean, just thinking about even the, the play that everyone wants to debate that wasn't, wasn't a catch, man, that was a cat-and-mouse game before they even snapped the ball. The decision back and forth where they went out there, Kirby calls a timeout. They go back mm-hmm. out there again, looking like they're going to go for it. Nick Saban calls a timeout, and then they go for it, and they you know they end up getting it, scoring a touchdown after that. It's it's the cat and mouse game and playing as or being the head coach. It, I would love to not have to co- go up against Nick Saban again. I'm 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 a realistic person, man. I would him not being on the sideline makes Bama not look near as scary when you match up against them in Tuscaloosa, uh, you know, next season. And dudes with 11 and one in Atlanta for a reason and in SEC championship games for a reason. Let me rephrase that. 11 and one in SEC championship yeah. games. 
Yeah, I, I think Georgia fans at this point should be like, yeah, please get, get on out of here because I mean, it's immediately you're immediately at a disadvantage when you go up against Alabama and Nick Saban, just because he's had everybody's number. And I know everybody wants to talk about how Kirby Smart's one in five. Kirby Nick Saban is his daddy. Yada. Nick Saban is everybody's daddy. I, I don't care who you are. I mean, that I, Gus Malzahn is the closest head coach to anybody that has had a decent record against someone like Nick Saban. Gus freaking Malzahn. What does yeah. that tell you about the college football world against Nick Saban? You ain't faring too well. I don't care who you are. I don't know what your name yeah. is. I don't care how good your football team is. Nick Saban has always had the ability to make his team play the most perfect football game when they need to, when it matters most. He's done it twice against Georgia. They played absolutely clean football, Played the, had the perfect game plan, made adjustments on the fly at the perfect time, and did everything they needed to to beat Georgia and to continue their football season in the playoff. They've done it twice now, and they've done it against multiple teams. So, yeah, I'm of the opinion of I appreciate Nick Saban. I respect the heck out of Nick Saban. I loved what he did to college football. I mean, to be able to witness his run in college football in general, I mean, that's that that's something special of its own. But I think everybody's kind of on the side of like when Tom Brady was towards the end of his career. And I was like, can this dude just leave? This man is 43, (laughs) still pushing for the playoffs, still winning Super Bowl rings. Like, just get on out of here. We're tired of your stuff. Just move on to this next stage of life. We respect your performance. Like, we respect your trophy case and what you've been able to accomplish. Now, can you let somebody else do something? Yeah, exactly. Can you go so somebody else can be the big name? You know, Um, yeah, that's how that's definitely how I feel about it because, like, and the reason is because I have so much respect for Nick Saban and what he's been able to do. So uh, not having to go up against him in the future is very appealing to me as a Georgia fan. Um, it's just, I mean, it that's that's pretty simple to me. I mean, I don't know why you would want to, uh, You're if you're a glutton for punishment, then you want him to be back and you have to go up against him again, especially on the road. And especially if you're in a situation next year where you don't have Carson Beck or Brock Vandegrift, and now you're going with Gunnar Stockton or uh, another one of those guys. Uh, yeah, personally, I, I'm ready for, I'm ready for him to take a step back. Uh, all right. I'm going to ask you, we had the Heisman ceremony this last weekend. Didn't watch it. I know you didn't watch it either. I can't even tell you the last time. I Actually, I'll take that back. I watched it last year because Stetson Bennett was in it. Just kind of yeah. wanted to see what happened. You know, maybe that small glimpse of hope that maybe Stetson Bennett's name is called and called up to that podium. But didn't watch it this year. But Jane Daniels wins the Heisman. Uh, the other finalists there were Michael Penix, Marvin Harrison, and Jordan Travis. So kind of give me your thoughts on this. Because I know that I know what my opinion is of the Heisman Trophy at this point. Also, we can talk about... Carson Beck not even making the top 10, like what didn't even yeah, finish as a top 10 that. finalist. Uh, but just kind of like, what are your feelings about the Heisman Trophy at this point? Like, do you still see it as this major award that it used to be? Or like, just kind of give me your thoughts on what, how you currently view the Heisman Trophy. I, I do think that the the Heisman Trophy has lost some of its, its glamour and, and some of the, like, I don't know if it's got as much kind of pool that it used to have. I don't know, you know, the reason for that. I can't really tell you why. Um, but I, I don't think it seems to mean as, I mean, it means just as much for the players that win it. Don't take, don't get me wrong. But as far as like a whole holistic view where you're looking from the outside and just like kind of looking at it, it doesn't seem like it's got as much pool anymore, uh, as much importance or something you're really focused on. Uh, I know everybody was sitting here, like there were people out here putting reckless comments out there saying that he was 
the most like underwhelming Heisman Trophy winner of being Jaden Daniels this year of all time. And I, I thought that was like the most ridiculous statement that I heard either. Because um, the guy, I mean, when you've got a guy out here and people are, are trying to say he shouldn't get it when he had almost 5,000 yards of total offense, he had over 4,900 yards of total offense with about 1,200 being rushing and the rest about 38-ish, somewhere in that range, uh, being from the throw in the ball as well. So, I mean, and had somebody put his career, st- his season statistics up next to Joe Burrow's and Joe Burrow had more passing yards um, and he had a couple more a little categories in there as well. But total yards, uh, rushing yards, total yards, total touchdowns, number of interceptions in a season, all of that, Jaden Daniels was better than Joe Burrow. I mean, he had a bet. If you were to look at it side by side, Joe Burrow did not have as good of a season as Jaden Daniels did. But the reason everybody acts like that is because your team had three losses and they feel like the, the Heisman Trophy is not a team award but that's what everybody's starting to look at i think maybe that's why it's not carrying as much weight anymore they're trying to make it something that you've got to be a contender or you've got to be somebody on a team that's winning and making it more about the team situation when in reality it is an individual award and nobody deserved that award over Jaden daniels this year not even close yeah i want to preface this by saying i'm i'm in agreement with you of Jaden daniels absolutely deserved to win the heisman trophy this year i've I mean, I thought he, without a doubt, was the most deserving of it. I thought he had the best season out of everybody in college football. Like, that dude put together a Heisman-worthy season. But at the same time, I'm starting to get to the point where I feel like people just don't care about the Heisman Trophy. And I think this is a big reason why. Like, think about to some of the late, like, early 2010s Heisman winners. Like, when I say Johnny Manziel, I guarantee you that you instantly have a highlight in your mind that pops up when I say Johnny Manziel from that Heisman season of his. When I say Lamar Jackson, the same thing happens. You have a play that instantly pops into your mind of, like, oh, yeah, I remember when Lamar Jackson won the Heisman because I remember this play of that season when it happened, or RG3, or Johnny, like, any of these guys earlier in that time, like Derrick Henry, those types of people, you have plays in your mind that you remember from that season. And I think the last one that we truly got of where a person won the Heisman and it was a truly a, a memorable Heisman Trophy winning season was Devontae Smith in 2020. Like that's the last one where when he won the Heisman, I was like, okay, yeah. I like if I will forever be able to recall back to his season at Alabama in 2020 with Mac Jones and all and Jameis Williams, all those guys in the Crimson Time, like him putting up over 200 yards in multiple games and doing just absolutely Didn't stupid he finish stuff the season? with the football. He finished the season with like 1,600 receiving yards in yeah, a shortened season. That was COVID yeah. year. They only played 10 regular season games. And he had 1,600 yards in the season or uh, through by winning the Heisman. That yeah. was, that was, I, I agree. I mean, the past couple of years, you know, the past, but when you say yeah, it like you, that, can you recall back a play from Caleb Williams Heisman season last year? Just, I mean, just big games in general, like like the numbers, right? Like it's it's a overall performance, but it wasn't like high. I, that's the conversation. I know you guys got into that conversation with Brooks and, and Christian, where it's like you, the Heisman moment, like the play or the the spot where he pulled your team out of the out of the weeds to make something happen in a game that you thought was lost. And uh, I, I don't, yeah, I can't necessarily say you had. A, a singular moment like a wow that play just ex- like blew me away but I will say I know you and I've talked about this Jaden Daniels I, I think his big game and big moment this year was the Missouri game when they're on the road and they're trailing by double digits you know early in that game by like halftime and they come out and he took over in that fourth quarter he ended up having about 400 yards of total offense and, and what four touchdowns in that yeah. game 
And uh, that to me, like, yeah, there wasn't like a singular play. He wasn't out here just like doing what Johnny Manziel did where he was running around in circles behind the line of scrimmage and would somehow escape out and run for 20 yards or find somebody 30 yards downfield and throw it. Um, But he still had those games that was like, wow, he took, he did take over the game. He just didn't make those insane plays. Like when you go back to RG three, you go back to Lamar Jackson, you think about like hurdling players and running around everybody. I think that was the difference, but he also still had 1200 yards rushing. This oh year. yeah. Like that's insane. He was one of the leading rushers in the sec and he was the quarterback. Yeah. I mean, truly definite the definition of put the team on your back. And I mean, if you don't have Jane Daniels this season, who knows what LSU season looks like. But our our guy Zach is pointing out something too that kind of irritated me. It was like, why why is Marvin Harrison Jr. a Heisman finalist? There were two other wide receivers that everybody felt like was more deserving. Malik Neighbors had fifteen hundred plus receiving yards yeah. this year, and then Roma Dunze at Washington had an incredible season as well. Both were statistically better than Marvin Harrison Jr. And I know that you can say the same thing that you just I just said about Jane Daniels for Marvin Harrison in Ohio State of like if you don't have Marvin Harrison this year I don't know what Ohio State looks like I mean that guy single-handedly probably went out there and won them some football games not probably he did go out there and win them some football games this year yeah. yeah but it it definitely felt like okay we're putting Marvin Harrison here because he's been the best player in college football for the last 3 years and we want to make sure he gets recognized for that like it didn't feel very deserving, in my opinion, for him to be sitting up there when we have other players that are much more deserving of him being there. I think that plays into the whole reason of what I'm getting at of the Heisman Trophy ceremony and the Heisman Trophy itself. There's like it's lacking this satisfaction and like this lust popularity and this contest. It. Yeah, it's it's like a popularity contest at this point because like what Zach is also pointing out is Milrow was in the top six. Jalen Milrow is a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. He did not have the statistics and everything to even be in the top 10, especially considering that Carson Beck didn't make the top 10. I mean, it, it, it's it's a popularity thing. It's like, oh, this player... Yeah, but J.J. It, McCarthy he's flashy. did. J.J. Like- McCarthy. I mean, J.J. McCarthy was in the top 10, but Carson Beck wasn't? I mean, come on, man. It, it doesn't... It, it comes down to popularity at this point, and I think that's why you're losing some of the, you know, the, the awards... It's not. It doesn't seem as important anymore. It doesn't seem as big of a deal anymore. And I think that's exactly why. Because you got people out there getting up in the top ten that you're like, I don't, I don't understand that. You got Marvin Harrison Jr. in the finals with it when you've got wide receivers that had way better seasons than him. Mm-hmm. I mean, like significantly better seasons than him, and they're not in the top ten. But it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I don't know. Just I think I know it's kind of been a popular topic around college football. I know fans have kind of started to voice their opinions about the Heisman Trophy and how it doesn't exactly hit the same that it used to. And you know, we don't. I like I know that I don't necessarily look forward to the award like I used to. Like it wasn't. It's it's no longer something that I sit down and watch anymore. Um, so I don't know if that's just me getting older and I have more responsibilities and I have other things to do, or if it's simply of the fact that I just don't have this want to watch anymore and I don't really care who wins it. Like. I don't know. It, it just seems like now when you get that notification on your phone of like Jane Daniels is a 2023 Heisman Trophy winner, it's like, cool, man. Good for you. Like, yeah. whereas before it was like, whoa, do you see who won the Heisman? Like, that's insane. Like, that person will forever be instilled into college football stardom and Hall of Fame and whatnot. But I don't know. Just, just the game evolving like it does, I, I guess. Think, I think one of the other reasons too is. It, it really, and, it, and it's been like this for a long time, don't get me wrong, is like, I think everybody's starting to realize it, it is a quarterback's award at this point. And so I think w- when you go back to thinking about Devontae Smith, 
winning that award is like, wow, a wide receiver just won this award. That doesn't happen. And, and like that, that shows how good of a season that they had. Uh, mm-hmm. We need, that's what you need for college football. If you want the award to seem to be a little bit more important, give it to some of these running backs that are out here with 1600 yards rushing on a season. Give it to these wide receivers that have 16, 1500 yards, you know, receiving in a year. Like let's, let's, a quarterback is extremely important person on your team, but they, the award isn't most valuable. And, and that's where I think it gets caught up is everybody seems to look at it as most valuable player. It is not the most valuable player. It is the most outstanding college football player in the entire season. That is not a quarterback most of the time. When you think about what these guys, like it, it, yeah, they are incredible and they're doing so much. But the, the way these offenses are running now, we're getting a lot more quarterbacks throwing for 4,000 plus yards on a regular basis. We're, you know, now, Jaden Daniels having nearly 5,000 total yards of offense. That's insane to me. Like, I think that should be something that is awarded. But when you got wide receivers out here with 1,600 yards, 1,500 yards, that to me is more impressive of like, man, you would think just cover this one guy, especially even, even going back to thinking about Marvin Harrison Jr. And like, he didn't deserve to win it this year, but he was the only receiver worth a dang on this in on this roster this year outside and the Fleming was good but he was hurt a lot and so he didn't get to have as much of a performance this year but you look at it, and it yeah they know hey we can just double cover this guy and he's still getting open he's still yep. making plays that's what I think about when I think about most outstanding player I don't think about the quarterback all the time and I think that's where the award has been focused forever and it, it needs to get away from that for the award to carry a little bit more weight again yeah no doubt just, and I don't know. Like I said, maybe it's just because college football is continuing to evolve. Different things are meaning a lot more and other things are meaning a lot less. Maybe now it's because it's more so of the team attributes that are a lot more coveted than it is the individual awards. It's all about, I would much rather win the national title than I care about a Heisman trophy winner. Maybe it's that sort of thing because it has to become a lot more competitive of winning a national title, in my opinion. So I don't know, maybe just some food for thought there. Not saying that that is 100% the case, but just kind of hypothesizing a little bit. I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else, Stoddard? I'm good. I think that's good for me, man. All righty. Well, as every passing week, we will get closer and closer to Florida State and Georgia facing off in the Orange Bowl, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, December 30th, 4 p.m. on ESPN. So as we get closer, that's when we'll ramp up the conversation about how the Seminoles and the Bulldogs match up against one another. Especially then we'll have a better idea of who is in the transfer portal, who is not going to be playing in the bowl game, who is playing in the bowl game. So we'll we'll be able to give you a true evaluation of both teams and kind of give you a better idea of how we think this game is going to go and whatnot. So just keep looking forward to that. We're going to keep bringing you episodes each and every week. Like I said, early National Signing Day is approaching as well on the 20th. So we'll have that going. Going to be able to recap the 2024 recruiting class for you guys and give our thoughts on that and some players maybe that we're intrigued about, players that like fan favorites of ours or anything like that from the class. So a lot of content still to bring up. We appreciate you guys for showing out each and every week still, even though the season is pretty much all but over. All of you people in the comment section, we appreciate and love all of your support. Keep hitting that subscribe button. Keep hitting that like button. Keep hitting the comment button as well. Even after the show, if you're not watching us live, make sure you leave us a comment. Give us some feedback on what you thought about the episode. Here are our social media ads down below. You see them on the screen if you're on podcast. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to read them again. You probably are a regular listener at this (laughs) point. They're in the show description if you need it that way. (laughs) They're on the show description. There you go. But that is going to do it for us. Stoddard, you can close us out. Yeah, hey guys, like he said, we appreciate that you're still watching and still engaging after at this point of the season. Show uh, all other fan bases that Georgia fans are still elite and that even though that you don't have a chance at a national title, you're still ready to support and learn more about Georgia and be all in that side of it. So as always, keep it classy in the Classic City and we will see you next week.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at the Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime, of the entire Bulldog Nation.